Oh, hey there, Monday. How was your weekend, everyone? More importantly, how was your Halloween? Mine was pretty good, considering it wasn't filled with parties or anything like that. My work party, though, was great, and I got to see a lot of old faces that I hadn't seen in a long time, as well as one particular face that I was very, very happy to see. And in true ADH fashion, I was able to pull through in the clutch and complete my costume on time. I have posted a sneak peek on the Instagram and Facebook if you'd like to see it. Last week, we talked about the horrors of beauty, but we're going to double down this week and talk about the dark side of beauty. That's right. We're talking about crimes of beauty. So everyone strap in. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this criminal episode of Beauty Reform School. You stumbled across Beauty Reform School, the podcast that explores beauty, style, reinvention, self-care, all from the perspective of the outside looking in. We pick apart the classics so you can confidently break the mold. And I'm your host, Bad Bad PJ Brown, the artist, the educator, the retail grunt, the problem child, the one who's done it the hard way for decades and now... I'm passing the savings on to you. So bring me your tired, your confused, your weirdos, your others yearning to breathe free. And if this sounds like you, grab your pen and grab your scratch pad. And let's figure this crap out together. Right here at Beauty Reform School. All right. So I have a few brass tacks and a few disclaimers to take care of before we get started. For one, I am going to be omitting some names from these because mm, I don't like to feel completely messy. Sometimes I will mention names if it's necessary, but I don't want to, you know, shine too much light. I'm more interested in the stories uh, than the offenders, if you will. But I will, I will have to name some names of certain things. Um, so the and the tea is hot, and I do not, I don't want to, you know. I mean, some I picked older stories. I didn't pick um, more current stories because they're still embroiled in whatever. So. I was waiting for the heat to die down before I brought up whatever, before I chose the story. If you know what I mean, if that makes sense, you have to also bear with me because my allergies are destroying my life at this moment. (laughs) My eyes are watery and I'm sure as you can hear, my voice is weird and that's just, that's just the way it is. I, I get to have the the raspy voice this week. So I hope you don't mind it. Uh, yeah, that's, it's just real. Anyway, I just wanted to point those things out before we got started. And I am going to dive right on in. I used uh, Allure.com as a reference this week. 
and I did use some things from Instagram and I did where's the other one mm -hmm. trying to see if my other lure mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I think oh Condé Nast as well all right so let's get into it On the 8th of October, founder of Decium, Brandon Trokes, I believe, posted a video on Instagram to advise that he was closing down his own company until further notice with immediate effect. In the emotional video, Brandon claimed that almost everybody at Decium has been involved in some major criminal activity. Yikes. He accompanied his posts with a lengthy, nonsensical, incoherent caption which threatened a list of people in the beauty industry and Hollywood. A leaked company email, which was shared exclusively with Cosmopolitan UK, revealed that all stores were asked to close with immediate effect and the Decium website to be replaced with an HTML page. The email warned staff that anyone who, quote, disrespects the guidance, end quote, will be, quote, terminated tomorrow, end quote. Following his unsubstantiated claims and store closures, S.C. Lauder, who owned a minority stake in Decium, started legal proceedings, which led to a Superior Court judge removing Brandon from his post as CEO. As part of the ruling, Brandon is prohibited from having any role at the company he founded and from posting on Decium's social media accounts. Ooh. I mean, was it a was it a drunk email? Was it a I don't know. But that's amazing. That's harsh. Could you imagine? You're just living life, working at your job, and you wake up one morning and he just your boss, your CEO just posts something and says that people have been like just wiling out and doing criminal activity and, you know, won't really get into it, but just is like, yep, they're doing it. So everybody just quit and leave. And if you don't do what I told you, then you're, you're going to be terminated. And mm, all right. Well, the next one I remember because <clears throat> It hit a little close to home, and, and I say that meaning that um, that I was working for a company that it affected uh, at the time. So it was, you know, things were hot over there. It was, it was tense. It was a lot going on. It was a lot of confusion. But here we go. Um, I'm sure some of you have heard about this one, but, but yeah. On the 7th of June, a pregnant Kat Von D took to Instagram to announce that she would be raising her child vegan without vaccinations. Her announcement immediately caused widespread backlash online, labeling her irresponsible. Many fans announced that they were boycotting her brand and instead donating their money to charities that provide vaccines for children. During the controversy, Kat deleted her original post and posted a second one, stating that she was not an anti-vaxxer. My husband and I are not anti-vaxxers. We are not against vaccines. 
just because we have hesitances and valid concerns about injecting our baby with specific chemicals and toxins does not mean we are anti-anything. A soon-to-be parent, and especially as a first-time mom, I do feel it my responsibility to have questions and listen to my motherly instinct to question things and do my research. What we have found is that sometimes it isn't always so black and white. While we believe in medications, including vaccines, all are not bad, we also can't dismiss the fact that some may not be good for everyone. Six months later, the debate continued after fellow YouTuber Kathleen Lights asked her followers what they thought of Kat Von D's beauty. The top response with over 4,000 likes was her line is outdated as not vaccinating her child is. Harsh. Ouch. Oof. Well, I will say this. Uh, I, d- I was a huge... Kat Von D fan in the beginning um, when it when the line first came out I collected all the kits I I will tell you that right now and there are probably some of her kits her old kits still in my house somewhere they're probably there um, but I will say this um, when it comes to anti-vaxxing people are very passionate on both sides and I just think that and maybe she probably didn't think of this at the time but I will say that when it comes to social media as you know it is a cesspool and a hot pot of uh, emotion and if you say something that goes against the opinion of someone else you have to know that it's going to lead to a lot of heat and a lot of problems um so it's best to think and we've talked about this on the podcast it's best to think before you post um you can have all the emotions in the world you don't necessarily have to share them uh on it on social media you really don't uh a lot of people think that you do um it's an instinct like a knee-jerk reaction that you have to post your opinion automatically And you don't. Um, You can keep some of that stuff to yourself until you have done your due diligence and done your research and thought about it. And then you can share and make sure you have your receipts, your research receipts. Um, Or you can just not share it at all. You can keep that between you and your family. And maybe I guess in hindsight, she thought that she should have done that. And there you go. Um, As some of you may know, some of you may not know, um, Kat Von D did sell her company and now it is KVD Vegan Beauty. Um, and I don't know how that brand is doing now, um, but that's what's going on. And Kat Von D is focused on her other pursuits and she is, has moved, she's moving. She just announced recently that she's moving, um, I don't know if it was Montana or Illinois or something, but she's moving away from LA is the point of the story. She bought a a beautiful house and she's moving away and she's raising her family and loving life and good for her, you know, good for her. Um, I, I did feel a little sad when her company took the turn that it did. Um, 
and my interest in her brand was not the same, but you know, she owes me nothing and you know, thanks for the memories. So, and that's how I look at it. So if anyone struggles with that whole story and like if they loved that brand and they didn't know how to feel or if they should buy it and things of that nature, you, if you still want to buy the brand, know that she does not run it anymore and you're welcome to do that with, with a clean conscience. Um, if you mourn the loss of that, then just feel free to use what you have. If you still have some stuff, it's collect their collector's items now. So use them in good health. Enjoy them. Um, and try not to make the connection so much with that if that helps. I don't know. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. But there you go. That's my that's my two cents on that. Ding ding. There you go. Two cents. Moving on. All right. So Luxury skincare brand Sunday Riley admitted posting fake positive reviews on their products in October after an email from, this was not this October, by the way, it's an older article, after an email from a former employee that was shared on Reddit. The American company that is known for its cult products like Good Jeans and Luna Sleeping Oil were exposed, encouraging employees to post at least three reviews of their satin, sul- satin sulfur acne treatment mask i say that three times fast (laughs) encouraging employees to set up profiles with reviews on other products in order to build a profile history the email which was shared in the skincare edition subreddit also gave employees guidance on what to write in their reviews plus it told them how to hide their ip addresses so the reviews could not be traced back to them when instagram account estee laundry shared a Full email. Sunday Riley admitted that the email was real and apologized, blaming the competitors for posting negative reviews to swing opinion. Well, I will say this. Um, I love Sunday Riley's products. Um, I do use both of those products. I love them very much. Um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a big oopsie on their part um, to do that, and I do get. Oh, I do get the motivation to do it because, you know, again, social media is a jungle out there and they were trying to stay afloat when they were newer and less, you know, not doing as well as they are now. So they made an oopsie. I hope they learned from it. And uh, yeah, that happened. Hmm. Okay. Next up, Bella Thorne. Released products from her makeup line, Filthy Fangs. Uh, the the two nine pan eyeshadow palettes, which cost fifty dollars to sixty dollars, um, sold within out within a few hours. But it seems the internet wasn't entirely convinced. Not only did they question whether the products had sold out in the first place, they also slammed her high prices and accused her of copying indie makeup brand Juvia's Place. Well, I will say this right now. This one was deep because Juvia's Place at the time um, was still building up their brand, black owned, and this happens way more often than not. Um, And especially there was a time, and I don't know if this is still um, 
as prevalent as it was then, but uh, a lot of influence were a lot of influencers on social media were definitely uh, getting paid to file to promote certain brands so they could get their swag and so they could make money. Um, and a lot of smaller brands and homegrown brands were getting lost in the sauce, and it's that's terrible any day of the week. However, when it is a black owned brand, um, it's even worse because they're already starting several steps behind to begin with. Um, you know, so imagine like, um, a sprint, you know, a sprint race and someone has to wait a minute like on the little the little thing where you put your foot and you wait and the gun goes off and then the first group of people get to run but then the second group of people have to wait and it's that's how black owned beauty is it's they don't get to start running when the gun goes off they have to wait a while and then they have to be 10 times better so that they can catch up <sighs> does that make sense i hope that makes sense <laughs> because that's uh that's how it is. So by uh, Bella Thorne doing that, um, it just made it even harder for Juvia's Place because if you made a, if you took quote unquote inspiration from Juvia, Juvia's Place palette and then you got more acclaim and you got further along than they did, then that's exactly what that was like. And that's not cool. Not cool. Not cool. Okay. Uh, they said, I feel like Bella Thorne's new palette looks like that Halloween makeup you buy at a drugstore. One wrote one user, Bella Thorne can't keep her makeup because can keep her makeup because we don't want it added another. Despite it, the despite the negative feedback, she announced that she will be releasing a line of lipsticks next. And so it goes in beauty and so it goes on social media. <laughs> Uh, okay. The, oh, yes. Okay, so Beauty Blender. Uh, they announced that they were launching their first ever foundation, Bounce. Um, the Instagram makeup account, Trend Mod One, were the first to post a picture of the full shade range, and commenters were quick to notice that despite there being 32 shades, 32, there appeared to be a distinct lack of darker shades, with her writing 50 shades of white. Not wrong about that. As the controversy quickly gained momentum, high-profile influencers like Nikki Tutorials and someone who I will not name because they could take a flying leap were quick to chime in with Nikki posting a screenshot of alleged response of a beauty blender claiming that a filter on the picture meant it wasn't a true reflection of their shade range. Beauty Blender followed up with a full statement defending the range are 32 blends, half the shade 16 are formulated for a range of olive and brown skin tones. We truly want everyone to find their perfect match. And our founder, Rianne Silva, is not only Latina, but a professional makeup artist working primarily with women of color. So she is an expert in the skin range. Those with tan, deep, and dark skin tones understand that finding the right color foundation is all about matching your undertone, and this is where Rianne saw the biggest hole in the market for women like herself and her multicultural family. 
Bounce offers a variety of undertones from neutral, warm, cool, and olive, and a special ultramarine blue to create a deep, rich tone. So, I'm going to tell you right now. I got up and close with Bounce back in the day when it first came out, and I will confirm that when it first came out, there was not enough shades to uh, accommodate everyone's skin tone. I will confirm that. And I had been told that some of the best things that you could do was to use this particular primer or mix it with this or perhaps use a little bronzer with it or do something like that. Those were the instructions that I was given when it first came out. The reason I bring this up is because that happened a lot when it came to different foundations, different brands. Um, representatives had to get creative and I'm not blaming them because it was their job to represent their brand but they did often say things like oh you have to mix it with this or why don't you buy two shades and mix that why don't you do this or that there was always a caveat like you can try to do this you can try to do that it'll look really great if you do this they had tips and tricks they had magic tricks that they discover themselves to help sell their brand to say oh why don't you use this if you use this then it's going to make it do that or this which is all fine and some of those tricks definitely worked however my point is and has always been that if the average person or not that if but that the average person should be able to walk up and pick a bottle off the shelf and apply it and it look good period end of sentence that should be the way that it works i should not have to have a degree in color theory to be able to get a foundation off the shelf and put it on it's just that simple it is just that simple i don't understand why no one seems to get that i think they do get it I think it's more about numbers and I think it's about who they think is going to buy the foundation and the demographic. And I really believe that with my whole heart because no one has proven to me otherwise. Seriously. Now, Bounce came out quite a while ago, years ago, in fact. So I am hoping that the next time I run across Bounce, that their shades are more accommodatable. I hope so. Um, I do not know because I have not checked them out in a while, but I hope that their shades are a lot better. And I, that goes for all the foundations who are claiming to have a more diverse thing. And side note, I'll say this. I'm glad, you know, that that Rian Silva is Latina and has a wide range of people in her family. Um, that's wonderful. Good for her. But that does not change the fact if your brand accommodates all types of beauty um, clientele and all types of skin tones and undertones. And you can name undertones from here till gone. And if they don't match, they don't match. I know that's a little, it's a little snappy, a little harsh, but it's true. Because I spent many, many a year being a makeup artist and selling makeup and working with clients and it was a struggle. It was a serious struggle and I still am close with people who 
do things, who sell makeup now to clients, and it's still a struggle. It's still a challenge. And I'm not going to pretend that it's not. Yes, the beauty industry has come a long way, but they have miles and miles and miles to go. All right, and we sip. Moving on to Allure.com. All right. It's a warm, overcast Saturday morning at a flea market in central New Jersey. Through the mist, I can make out the acres of vendors setting up their stands outdoors. By 9 a.m., folding tables are filled. iPhone screens, Gatorade, Raw Honey, and shoppers are streaming in. A quarter mile down the road, a group of guys is hanging out behind a deli. They're brawny, wearing Harley-Davidson t-shirts, cargo shorts, and jeans. They wouldn't be out of place playing pool at a dive bar or tailgating at a Giants game. They're regular guys, except that they're anything but. Between them, these five plainclothes cops have eight decades of experience in gangs, terrorism, narcotics, human trafficking, organized crime, and cargo theft. They've seen the worst and the darkest corners of humanity. But today, they're here for makeup. Jim, do we know where the product is coming from? That was Lieutenant Daniel Bergen, the leader of the New Jersey State Police Interstate Theft North Unit. With a shaved head and wearing a Dropkick Murphy's t-shirt, all right, Bergen speaks bluntly as the team waits for their egg sandwiches. China, he says. Um, private. That was the private investigator who's been canvassing this area for months. The it in this case is MAC Cosmetics, presumably fake. Within the hour, these officers will begin stalking, staking out a vendor at the flea market. Ricardo, who owns a company called Allegiance Protection Group, works closely with Estee Lauder companies. You read that right. In 2008, when they saw an increase in counterfeit products, the Estee Lauder companies, which own MAC, created an anti-counterfeiting unit, 24 people whose sole job it is to seek out counterfeit beauty products. Because of this simple and iconic packaging, MAC products are a frequent target for counterfeiters. A former detective Ricardo spends a fair amount of his time searching markets like this one for counterfeit goods, makeup, handbags, wait, oh, consumer electronics, alcohol, and whenever he sees Mac, his antenna goes up. She's got a lot of stuff, Ricardo says, referring to the focus of today's operation. Her shop has a prime real estate in the indoor selection of the flea market and looks more like a ship, like a store on a strip mall. I can't talk. Then a flea market. Several of the men on site today will purchase MAC items from the store and ferry them back to the parking lot where a woman named Nancy Gordon sits in an unmarked van. Gordon is the manager of Global Trademark Protection for the Estee Lauder companies and she'll test the products to verify that everyone, what they already suspect, that they're fakes. Once the results are in, it's time. But just as the team is about to go in with handcuffs and Miranda rights, the woman is gone a light panic falls over the group she just stepped out for a moment one of the detectives assures us when she returns to her post he and bergen head inside calmly while ricarte hangs on the 
periphery of her shop, careful not to blow his cover. They arrest her, handcuff her, and cordon off the entrance. The woman, stunned, looks into the crowd for answers. Can I just show you where I get my stuff from? She begs the agents, her voice shaking. I have a letter. I get it from a wholesaler. Then, defiance. This is a mistake, and I am not worried about it at all, she insists. She will later plead not guilty to the charges. The men box up the alleged fake MAC products, but they have a problem. The woman also sells Redken and Urban Decay products, which can't be verified by the Estee Lauder company's authenticator. They want to be able to count the number of units in order to charge her with the appropriate crime, and they can confiscate only items that they believe their investigation could prove fraudulent. And in the end, they only take the MAC products. These products are not making their way from overseas to New Jersey without someone of a little of, li of a little more sophistication in the mix, explains Detective. You don't really know where the money's going in. It could be funding terrorism, trafficking, or child labor. People don't realize. Fake makeup is a business with widespread effects and untold cost. Global seizures of counterfeit beauty products rose 25% from 2011 to 2013, according to a report by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Global online wholesale markets like Alibaba, DHgate, and TradeKey produce hundreds, if not thousands, of search results for popular makeup products advertised at incredibly low bulk prices. The Estee Lauder companies issue takedowns of hundreds of online vendors at a time, and the problem has become so prevalent that in 2015, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security's National Intellectual Property Rights Coordination Center launched something called Operation Plastic Beauty, a division created specifically to stop the spread of fake health and beauty products. As in most organized criminal networks, the low-key level sellers are connected to mid-level suppliers and massive high-level dealers. Most of the fake goods can be traced to China. A raid earlier this year tapped seven underground dens in Zhejiang with an inventories totaling 120 million. These fake goods are peddled either on the streets or online through these global e-commerce websites. And although these sites are often aware of the issues and in some cases have sued counterfeit sellers, the problem continues to grow. In 2016, the Estee Lauder companies conducted more than 1,350 seizures and confiscated more than 2.6 million pieces of counterfeit products. The head of the Estee Lauder Company's anti-counterfeit, anti-counterfeit security team is Lou Rice, the senior vice president of global security and trademark protection and a former DEA agent. Wow. So I'm going to tell you now um, that we're going to talk about this a little bit more Next week, there's a spoiler. Um, we're going to talk about that. There's a spoiler. We're talking about that. Um, because we're going to not only talk about counterfeit makeup, 
but we are also going to talk about exactly the dangers of counterfeit makeup, not necessarily from a financial perspective, but from a, a consumer perspective, because a lot of these counterfeit products do not follow the rules. So it could be anything from paint thinner in them to even worse. So be sure to tune in next week for the podcast so we can do a deep dive on these products. Okay? And I will continue um I will continue talking about that article next week as well. But yeah, it's deep. It's really 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 deep. Um yeah. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I enjoyed telling you the stories. My eyes are completely burning and I feel like I'm going to sneeze at any moment. But you know what? Even then, I still love meeting up with you every single week to tell you different stories and to touch base with you. And I hope you enjoyed your Halloween and I hope that you are safe and have fun. And I hope you take the spirit of Halloween with you the rest of the year. Hold on to that creativity. And as always, I'm still looking for you to send me some people to talk to. Send me some stories. You know I love them. And I can't wait to share them with everyone else. If you don't know how to do that, you can do it in one of three ways. You can do it on Facebook, or you can do it on Instagram, or you can go right to the source at beautyreformschool.com. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. I actually have a TikTok, Beauty Reform School, but I'm not good at TikTok. So basically, I just share the prompts and the promos for the podcast there. If you go to TikTok, you can always see that to see what's coming up for the week. And you can see the episode that's coming up for the week. Um, One of these days, I will learn how to do some sort of nifty TikTok video and I will do it. Or maybe I won't. You never know. It bees like that. So thank you for all you new listeners and thank you for your list for the listeners that have been with us from the beginning. You all are stars and I love you for it. Thank you so much for your listenership and thank you in advance for your listenership in the future. And pencils down. Class is dismissed and I'll see you next week.